Hi there, and welcome back to My First Match. For our final episode this season, we're joined by Johnny Sharples, a man who never fails to see the funny side of football on Twitter. As you might recall, Johnny's the guy who got 50,000 people to sign a petition that urged the government to put a picture of Harry Maguire riding an inflatable unicorn on a £50 note. More on that to come later. Let's get on with it. So, Johnny, we're speaking two or three weeks after Project Restart finally came to an end. Did you enjoy Project Restart or the madness that kind of somehow came with it? I enjoyed having football every single day to watch, which is nice. It was like a, a World Cup, but with um, with a team that, you know, actually is quite successful. It's not, I suppose England were good at last World Cup, weren't they? But um, no, it was it was good. I enjoyed enjoyed having the football around every day. Um, the fact that Newcastle were quite rubbish the entire time is probably the less said about it, the better. But it was good just to have football back and to be able to watch it. And then even when the championship started again, watch that. And now the Champions League and Europa League as well. So it's 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 like football's never been away basically now. So um, and then we don't even get a proper break from it really once it all starts up again. So um, but just just thankful. Um, although I did enjoy, did enjoy time without it to be honest. There was. Um, just to take a little bit of a break and step back from it for a while was good, but I'm glad it came back in the end. Yeah, that like when it was away, there was like a kind of weird, unexpected serenity about it all, because I'm a Spurs fan, so you can know uh, my emotions are all over the place a lot of the time. And for like three weeks, I felt like strangely calm. I mean, like well, three months, whatever it was. And I was like, why is this? I couldn't quite pinpoint it. And then the minute that it came back before that Man United game, and that kind of tension started. I was like, that's exactly what it was, like knowing that my weekend isn't potentially going to be ruined by a result. And yet we go back and, you know, we're as loyal as ever. I know, as a Newcastle fan as well, it was like the entire time of lock, uh, the, the lack of matches was occupied by the potential takeover. So it was just, I think if football was there, it would have offered a nice distraction from the endless, you know, ownership tests and whether deposits have been paid and very admin heavy things that we shouldn't really be that bothered by as football supporters. But um, it seemed to take a lot of attention away where football would have filled those gaps in as normal. And I'm going to come back to that takeover in a bit. Um, but let's take it back to the very start. So when I kind of asked you to come on um, the pod, you were telling me that your first game, a Newcastle fan though you are, wasn't actually a Newcastle game. Tell us what it was. So the first, the first ever match that I went to was... Um, a auto windscreen shield northern section first round match between Preston North End and Darlington um, at Deepdale. Um, so I, I grew up in Preston, um, which is obviously 200 or so miles away from Newcastle. Um, and the first, the first ever football match that I watched that I can really remember watching was, was um, England against Germany in the semi-final of Euro '96. Um, but I do have a do have a idea that I must have watched something before then because I just remember being so heavily invested in that England match that that can't have just come out of nowhere like that that passion and desire for England to win. So there must have been matches that came before it, especially in that tournament. But um, that that tournament was so good for England because because of one man and that man being Alan Shearer, who then was in the headlines the next time I, I saw him um, joining Newcastle. So. Um, having only come to, to football at that point, um, I didn't really have anyone to pledge my allegiance to, so I just followed Alan Shearer from, from Blackburn to Newcastle and became a Newcastle fan, not really appreciating the distance um, that Preston was away from, from Newcastle. But my brother, who was um, 
nine years older than me was a Preston fan. So um, that nine years difference meant that his influence wasn't really that much on me. He could go to he could go to the pub and watch football, and he didn't really have to you know lug his nine year old little brother around with him everywhere. And <laughs> yeah. um, when he wanted to go to the to, to the pub and drink and, and go around to his friends' houses to watch football, yeah. um, so the influence that he had on my decision um, of who to support was very minimal. But that obviously didn't stop him because he was the one that took me to that that Preston against Darlington match and. Um, yeah, I have. I don't have too many memories of the actual match itself. I can obviously look up the scoreline on the internet now, and I know that um, so Preston won three two thanks to the golden goal rule in extra time, which um, is a long forgotten uh, footballing uh, antiquity now. The golden goal rule. Yeah, like what was it? I mean, the last time I remember, I'm going to say. World Cup 2006, I think, around there. Yeah, they replaced it with the silver goal rule, which was somehow even worse. <laughs> um, so yeah, the goal. So they Preston won on a golden goal, and I'm almost certain that um, that Sean Gregan got sent off um, in that match. Um, but the uh, the stories about the internet, for all it's good in you know finding out old pieces of information and artifacts and things doesn't seem to dwell on too many details of um, auto windscreen shield, <laughs> northern section, first round matches from uh, 1997 too much. So, um, yeah, I have a really funny memory that, that Sean Gregan got sent off because I became absolutely obsessed with Sean Gregan in the aftermath. Yeah. And I used to, whenever I used to play championship manager, which was quite frequently when I was younger, still quite frequently now, if anyone yeah. follows me on Twitter, I don't know just how much I, I still subject myself to, to championship manager and football manager. But I would take over the England job um, on, on Championship Manager and call up Sean Gregan, regardless of whether he was still playing for Preston in, in <laughs> Division 2 or whether he'd sealed a move um, into Division 1 or, or the Premiership. I'd always call him up for England just because I was so obsessed by the fact that he got sent off. It wasn't even that he scored a good goal or, or, or looked particularly good. He was a, he was a good player. He, he made his way into the Premier League eventually with West Brom. But... Um, yeah, I was just absolutely obsessed with the fact that he, he got sent off. Um, and, and yeah, um, despite all that, my, my brother couldn't convince me to be a, a Preston fan. I was already a year deep into supporting Newcastle by that point. And um, although it would have been easier, much easier for me to go to matches, especially with, like, you know, my mum my and dad aren't football fans and never have been football fans. So um, if anyone was going to take me to football matches, it would have been my brother. And, and obviously it would have been a lot easier if... Um, he could have taken me along to Deepdale, which, which he, we, we still did every so often, but not with the regularity and frequency that probably I would have done if I was a Preston fan. Um, so, yeah, uh, still still got to see a North East team in Darlington that played in black and white, albeit um, not the one I actually supported. But, yeah, um, that, that was my first foray into to the match. And like I said, I can't really remember too much. My, my other vivid memory other than... Um, other than Sean Gregan getting sent off, which perhaps didn't even happen. It might be a Mandela effect type thing <laughs> um, that I've just completely misremembered is the fact that um, we parked absolutely ages away from the stadium. And I was only like, young at that point. And I don't know if you've ever been to Deepdale. Um, I don't know. But it's, um, it's a weird stadium in the fact that um, it's not city centre like St. James's Park is, where it's quite easy walking distance. But mm. at the same time, it's not like... Um, the University of Bolton Stadium or the Macron or the Reebok or whatever it's calling itself by the time this podcast goes out in the fact that it's on a retail park like five miles outside the, the town it's claiming that it's um, hosting. 
so it's it's not really walking distance from the city centre, but it's not miles out. So you, you start to drive there, but then there's no parking around. So there's a there's a, a playing field and, and park in front of it, and then there's a busy main road, and then there's lots of terraced houses. Um, obviously, those terraced houses have their own cars, and you're lucky if you can get a car parking space there. So we parked at what I'm generously going to call a retail um, park, but I think it's just a, a B&M bargain with a lot of car parking spaces. <laughs> yeah. It's probably about a 10, 15 minute walk away from the stadium. But it's just, to me, when I was that young, uh, walking, and you can see Deepdale from quite a distance away, especially this was um, Tuesday, Wednesday night match. Um, so the floodlights would have been on. So you can see it from quite a distance. Um, but it never seemed to get any closer when we were walking there. So I'm walking with my young legs, trying to keep up with my brother and his friends who were 18 and 19 and stuff. And they obviously want to get to the game, and I'm just like, trying my best to catch up with them. <laughs> yeah. and, and it's just, if I walk that walk now, it does probably take five to ten minutes, to be honest. But I just remember it feeling like it was taking so long. And it was a midweek game that went to extra time. So I'm surprised my, in, in December, I think it was. So one, it would have been freezing. Yeah. And two, I'm surprised my, my mum and dad let me go to it, especially on a school night. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, like I said, no real memories of what happened in the match apart from Sean Gregan. But I just remember there was obviously a lot of excitement there because it's the first match I've ever been to, even though it wasn't a Newcastle match. Yeah, just, just remember remember having, having a joyous time at Sean Gregan, potentially getting sent off. And um, in terms of Newcastle, what was your first game there? I mean, because even as an away fan where I've gone there with Spurs, I mean, the first time I went there, I remember thinking I'd be envious of anyone who'd have this stadium for the first match. Because as you said, it is this proper imposing presence in the middle of the city. And it's one of those stadiums where everything in the city kind of revolves around the stadium. Like it's there and like everyone's like walking through the streets. It's such a massive thing right in the centre of Newcastle, isn't it? Yeah, so it, it's on a hill as well, so that like the top of top of the hill, so it yeah. is an imposing presence across, and it's a it's a big stadium anyway. Like that, the the cantilever roof is absolutely huge and, and dominates dominates the skyline in Newcastle. But my first, the first game that I went to at, um, at St James's Park, and this is heinous to to admit, especially um, I'm not a, I, you can tell I'm not a diehard Newcastle fan because of my accent mainly, but. <laughs> Um, I, I absolutely love the club and I've like, committed so much of my time, energy and, and especially money to it over the years. But first, yeah. first match at St James's Park wasn't until 2010 um, when we were in the Championship. Um, and it's when Newcastle played Preston, um, the second game of that season, uh, the second time that we played in that season. And um, we won 3-0 and uh, Peter Lovenkran scored and uh, Kevin Nolan scored. And like I say, I've been to, I've been outside the stadium. Um, I say my mum and dad aren't, aren't football fans, but um, once I decided that I was I was going to support Newcastle, they were very um, indulgent in that. And um, I'm going to shout out my sister because she will say that they spoiled me a lot in terms of um, <laughs> what what oh, well they've always spoiled me, but especially when it came to football, and they, they would buy the, the kits for me every every couple of years when when a new one came out. Um, always for birthday and Christmas presents, and, and my birthday is close enough to Christmas that they would often combine the two. Oh, perfect! Um, yeah, um, <laughs> I remember one year I got a Newcastle kit, and I wanted Shearer number nine on the back because you had to pay for the letter. They got me Lee number seven because it was a few letters, <laughs> few letters shorter. So I wasn't always the spoiled child, uh, Catherine, mm. despite what you say. Um, but yeah, it was. So um, I went outside the stadium. We would have gone on a like a camping trip up to um, Barnard Castle. Um, of course, yeah. 
the the the, the eye test. My dad yeah, probably yeah. must have had trouble uh, seeing at that point. So just wanted yeah. to make sure. <laughs> Travel the 150 miles across from Preston to Barnard yeah. Castle. But yeah, we were we were camping there, and because it's so close to to Newcastle, well, reasonably close to Newcastle city centre, um, I remember they they drove me there. It must have been about probably about. 12 or 13 at the time we drove just into the city center to drive past the stadium wow and just to see what it looked like um and even then it wasn't as big as it is now because obviously they've made made changes in the subsequent years but it was still massive and imposing even then especially when i was so used to the only football stadium i've really been to by that point was deepdale which is still quite a big you know it's twenty-five thousand stadium mm -hmm. Um, but, New, but St James's Park was, you know, 40,000 by that point. It was, it was still a huge um, comparison. But yeah, the first game that I, that I went to there, I can say, was, was 2010 when Newcastle played Preston. And it was made, made easy by the fact that I was older and I could get my own tra transport across to it. Um, I went with some friends who were Preston fans uh, coming from Preston. So they wanted to do that a bigger way trip. When we got relegated um, in, 2000 and, in 2009, Mm. I think that's one of the not to not to big up Newcastle too much, but I think for a lot of fans that was seen as a big away trip. That was a you know a stadium to to tick off the list, um, and that was especially true for my my friends that were Preston fans. But so we all went over and, and made a weekend of it, and yeah, it was just like you build these things up in your head, um, going to going to certain places, and I think and doing certain things, and that was certainly true of, of me. It was like you know. 14 years in the making of wanting to visit the inside of the stadium not just to stand outside and look at the brickwork um, so it was it was incredible and we were sat in the posh seats because if, if you're going to go there you may as well make the, the best of it of course and um, my other real vivid memory of it was we were sat near um, near the very very posh seats and Stuart Pierce, who was England under 21 manager at the time was sat yeah. sat probably about five seats away from us but there was a a uh, barrier in the way um, but at half time I remember going up to the barrier and just shouting at him and shouting Stuart getting no response shouting Stuart Pierce getting no response and just panicking and shouting psycho on the off chance that that's what he would respond to. Pure Alan Partridge Dan going on but with yeah, Stuart Pierce. But with Stuart Pierce, who is a lot more um, intimidating <laughs> yeah. than, than Stephen Mangan uh, was in, in I'm well, Alan Partridge. Yeah. But yeah, just got absolutely no response from Stuart Pearce. And, and I suppose he's got he's had to put up with that for years and years and years of his life. People just wanting his attention. So, um, yes, going to that, that trip to St. James's Park was, was so much fun, especially being there with, with friends and having the bragging rights at the end of it that Newcastle won and Preston lost. And uh, I'd actually been to the other fixture at Deepdale earlier on in the season, 2000, November 2009, um, mm. when we won 1-0. And... Um, being sat amongst the Newcastle fans in the away section um, on my own in that instance but obviously you're not on your own when you're in a crowd a lot of the time especially if you're all you know cheering on Shola Ramiobi and Danny Guthrie and the other yeah. Stephen Taylor and the rest of them um, so no that was that like seemed, I always wanted to like growing up in Preston always dreamed of maybe in the FA Cup or, or the, the League Cup Newcastle and Preston drawing one another and it just never went that way and um, so that's one of the reasons why I never really got to see Newcastle play because they never played Preston and that, you know, not being able to travel outside those four city walls um, was difficult. But as soon as Newcastle and Preston, Newcastle did the noble thing and got themselves relegated for my benefit. 
um, and Newcastle and Preston could play each other. I went to the went to the home match in two thousand and nine, and then went sorry went to the away match two thousand and nine, and then the home match in, in two thousand and ten. Um, and yeah, just every everything that you ever hoped St James's Park would be, it was. Um, and Newcastle won both times, but Newcastle won, which obviously made it all the better. And to that end, um, what do you make of this kind of whole uncertainty at St James's? I know the uh, as of last week or the week before, the Saudi takeover is officially dead in the water. But then this week, you know, there's talk that Ashley might sell up to Henry Morris, this uh, American investor like what's going on i mean like this kind of tumultuous time for newcastle fans where on one hand it looks like ashley is finally going to sell up he's keen to sell up but on the other it's a question of who's he going to sell up to and when's it going to happen is um he's obviously he's committed to sell now i think and he wants to find a way out he's got to claw some money back from obviously we've been through horrendous times you know with, with covid19 and, and the things that that's done to you know you don't care much that it's done horrible things to his investments and there's a human, there's a human cost in, in the tragedy there but he's got to claw some of that money back from somewhere that he's lost through the the retail sector and so Newcastle are probably his most sellable asset so I think he is committed to sell that now and, and the, the, the thing with the Saudis is very difficult one because you are there is that excitement that you're going to become the richest football team in the world and you've seen what you know when Roman Abramovich came in at Chelsea and when you know Sheikh Mansour came in at Manchester City and you see how that changed that that club and the players that they were able to bring in and the success that it brought them. You want That's a piece, nice, isn't it? Yeah, you want a piece of that pie as well. And, and when it's dangled in front of you, you, you want to take it. But at the same time, it's where that money's coming from and, and who that money's coming from and, and how they made that money. And you you don't make that the amount of money that it takes to own a football club without making some unethical decisions along the way. Oh yeah, of course. But there's there's one thing in, in offering zero hours contracts to people like like Mike Ashley has done with, with Sports Direct, and there's a whole different um, kettle of fish with with what what happens in Saudi Arabia and, and with the public investment fund. So I think once it, once that deal went dead in the water, there's a, that temptation to say right, that's sort of an escape from those question marks that other clubs um, would, would fire at us and, and human rights activists would rightly question. And so, um, but now now people obviously are signing petitions and they want answers from the, the Premier League as to what's going on. And I'm sort of on the, on the fence of, I sort of think we should just leave it. I think it'd be better for us to just let that one go. Because there's going to be other rich people out there that will have less, less question marks over them. And, and yeah, yeah. This, this, this American guy with his only has two different photographs that seem to exist on the internet whether he's a, a real investor or, or he's just looking for because i think all his money comes from screens that are, that are advertising things in american uh, airports or, or something really niche and something like how does that generate enough money okay. to, yeah. for a football it's, team yeah. i don't know but um yeah you there's an there's a willingness for ashley to leave from both ashley and obviously from newcastle fans but it's just finding that there's, there's no one with the money ethically, really, that you would want to take over. But at the same time, you don't want those people linked to your football club sometimes. And it's just trying to strike that right balance between the two, I think. And so we've got Newcastle, you know, we've spoken about that. But one of the main, other main reasons I wanted to get you on the pod is you, Twitter and football. I mean, like, you are one of the funniest people on Twitter. I mean, and like, I was just looking and there's always a gem whenever I look at your account. But most recently, 
Um, you unfortunately had a petition rejected for Gary Neville to watch Sharknado. What the hell was that all about? Um, <laughs> so uh, you must have been right at the start of, of lockdown. Uh, Gary Neville put out a tweet saying he wanted to watch a film and asked for recommendations. So I recommended that he watch, watch Sharknado. Yeah, why not? Because, you know, it's one of the modern masterpieces, you, have to, you have to say. Um, what other film has brought um, Tara Reid and, and Kurt Angle together? <laughs> There's not very many. No. Um, so I, I suggest that he watches, watch that. And then I never, never heard back from him, which I think was quite frankly very rude. Um, if someone recommended me something, I'd get back to them when I'd watched it. So I'm, I can only assume that he hasn't watched it. So um, every so often I would tweet him and ask him if he, if he watched it and he'd never reply. And then I set up a bot on Twitter um, called has, has Gary Neville watched Sharknado yet? Which just every, every 24 hours just tweets a variation on, on no. And then in the end, I thought I'd take it to the, take it to the top. Um, and try and get a response from from the government, but obviously they they can't intervene. They've perhaps got bigger fish, to, big bigger fish to fry at the moment. Um, and so yeah, I, I was very very dejected to get that back because yeah. um, I have a reasonable record when it comes to getting people to sign petitions. Well, this is what um, I'm going to say. I mean, like, look, you have proved that you are a uniter of the people. We go back to 2018 when you managed to get over i want to say 15,000 correct me if i'm wrong if it was more 50 50,000 yeah. sorry 50 yeah well there we go 50,000 people um to get to get harry Maguire uh riding an inflatable unicorn on the 50 pound note and it was a petition backed by kyle walker no less look if, if one of like if one of his england teammates has backed it i don't know why it didn't happen I know I'm sat here, and not to shatter the illusion that we're recording this uh, beside one another and we're actually doing it remotely. But I'm yeah. sat at my desk, and on my desk is, um, we can put that to the camera, yeah. is uh, uh, the mocked up £50 note signed by Harry Maguire. Uh, That's amazing. So, um, the, someone from the Premier League sorted that out for me. Um, good. But um, yeah, that was that was an interesting time. I was um, One of my friends works for, I've shouted it out on, my podcast before um, but one of my friends works for UK TV working with the TV channel Dave mm. and um, he uh, as part of one of his work assignments was had to um, do a, a, a week in the life of a typical Dave viewer so he asked me if I would obviously I'm a, I'm a typical Dave viewer I'm just I just really like Taskmaster basically yeah um, so um, he decided he'd do this presentation to his office about me so he asked me at the start of the week whether he could and he had to ask me every evening what I'd done that day. And it was the same day that I launched the petition. So his, <laughs> his entire, um, we couldn't have timed it better. His entire uh, presentation was about, like, I had to go on to Five Live this day and I had to go on to talk sport and talk to David Seaman and Max Rushton about it. And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting week. And at the end of that week, I think I went to a wedding, um, which was welcome relief from having to talk about uh, Harry Maguire and unicorns for for a week. So yeah, that was that was a lot of a lot of fun. Very strange thing to do. And why do you think? I mean, like the the stuff you put out. Why do you think football is such a good like a good breeding ground for like absurd, silly comedy like that? Um, football's stupid. Like, it is stupid. Yeah. It, it, like think of the stuff that happens and goes on. And um, I was actually watching a compilation today on YouTube of the stupidest, almost ridiculous. Uh, goals that have happened and there was like the beach ball goal and um and things like that and just think of it something like that will happen at least once a game every game like 
and every, if everyone's watching the same game, like um, my my favourite moment and, and one that's featured heavily on my Twitter account over over the past couple of years was Milad Mohamedy and Roly Poly throwing at the World Cup. Oh yeah. And if World Cup, everyone's watching those matches, um, like millions and millions of people just in the UK, and then you think about how how many people across the world are watching him. So if something like that happens and you're the one that gets in there first, um, you're going to be the one that, that, that gets all the, the attention drawn towards it. So, um, yeah, just so much stupid stuff happens. And I think I think it's difficult. A lot of people, I think I, think I came to football quite late. I was um, nine years old, I think, which is quite late when I first really got into it. Mm. And so I don't think, I, and as, like I say, my mum and dad weren't into it. So I haven't had this sort of, seriousness of how important football is regimented into me over the years and so I think once you take a step back and you realize that football is stupid and there's a lot of stupid stuff that happens and it's not to be taken too seriously I think a lot more enjoyment comes out of it as well so hopefully it's um you know getting people to see the, the ridiculous and the stupid side of football um, and parodying it and, and making the jokes about it and you know because a lot of stupid stuff does happen, yeah. especially especially as a Newcastle fan. Like the things that Newcastle, have, have, like Kieran Dyer and oh, Lee Bowyer, Lee Bowyer had, a, ahead, yeah. had a fight with each other on on the pitch in the same match that Stephen Taylor handballed it on the line and pretended that he got shot. Oh my god! So, as a Newcastle fan, a lot of stupid stuff happens, uh, and I think I, I'm quite blessed in in the sense that um, I decided I was going to be a Newcastle fan because it's been such a like people, there was there was a couple of years ago the banter era threads happened on, on Twitter, yeah. and Newcastle United has just been one like hundred and something year banter era. We're still waiting for it to finish. Um, so a lot of comedy, a lot of joy, obviously a lot of frustration, a lot of anger that we haven't won anything uh, has come out of it. But yeah, you couldn't support a better club if you just like taking the mick out of football. To be to be honest with you. But um, what you're saying, like football being inherently stupid. I mean, it's good, and like I've always found that um, then in that sense, you'll get unexpected joy in places where you won't expect it. I mean, so I was at um, Spurs Norwich uh, in the FA Cup where they dumped us out um, early this year, and it was the same game where I'm at the top of our south stand and I'm walking down only to see Eric Dyer kind of like, you know, climbing over the seats to um, like, you know, have a word with that fan. And, you know, it's getting reported as like this serious clash, and it was like a little bit, but my first thought was just to laugh at him with the thought, like the very image. Eric Dyer stringing his legs like over these things like at the end of a crap game when we've been dumped out it gave me like my own the only laugh or the bit of joy I've had all night it's just I know it's like to me the thing for, like FA Cup as well I don't know what it, it must bring out the worst in, or the best in people but Newcastle against um, Oxford in the FA Cup this year Alison Maximan scored and the camera cut to a guy getting his um, oh yeah bits out and, <laughs> yeah. and giving it a bit of a <laughs> helicopter um, and it is just like people do stupid, like football makes people do stupid stuff. And that goes for the fans, it goes for managers, chairmen, players, everything. I don't know if it's the pressure or the, or whatever it puts people under, but people just lose their minds at football. Um, often, often for the worse, um, but like so often there is just ridiculously stupid things that occur. And it is just like finding the joy in those, like you say, and, and really really embracing embracing the stupidity of football. And I know for you, um, there's the other side of it. I know that um, your kind of love of football has been um, linked with uh, with um, the loads of work that you've done with Calm. And, you know, that's kind of... I know you've been involved with them since your brother's death in 2014. Is that right? 
Yeah, so um, my brother died in, in December 2014, um, which is, like you say, in, like to have it linked with football, like a, a few months after he passed away, like Preston drew Manchester United in the FA Cup and, and growing up in Preston, like if Alan Shearer joined, if Alan Shearer joined Manchester United and, I, and I, I would have supported Manchester United then, and I could have made a legitimate claim because Preston to Manchester is about 40 miles away. So um, you can legitimately say that you're, you're almost Manchester, especially when you're on holiday and people ask where you're from. And you say Preston and they say, I don't know where that is. And so you say it's near Manchester. They immediately know. Yeah. So so Manchester United have, have been this massive bear off. And so many people in Preston support Man United because they can, one, glory support them and two, legitimately claim that it's fine because we're not that far down the road from them. Um, but Man United and Preston had never really played each other before. And then a few months after my brother passed away, they drew each other in the um, FA Cup. And Preston took the lead, one nil up. Um, Scott Laird, which is one of my favourite goals um, ever, because um, my dad was, my mum and dad were visiting at the time, and I insisted we watch the match. And uh, my dad was drinking a coffee on the, one of the sofas, and I threw a cushion at him just out of sheer excitement. And <laughs> um, I, I just lost control. Like we say, you lose control when you watch football. And yeah. then. Um, Preston made the League One playoffs at the end of that season as well and beat Swindon in the final. And Preston had never, I think it was their tenth attempt at going through the playoffs at any level, and it's the first time that they were successful. Um, so there's these moments where, you know, still celebrating my brother through football, but um, it happened. And I've been very lucky in the sense that um, working closely with, with Calm, who are a men's um, mental health and suicide prevention charity. Mm. Um, They've, they've sort of embraced football and football's embraced them quite a lot um, over the past few years. So I've been really uh, privileged to be able to go and speak to footballers and, and go and take part in other projects. Like the, the Heads Up campaign, which we've had throughout the FA Cup this season, just gone. I was, I was lucky to go and have Christmas dinner with the England team. Um, at one point, I went to play table football with Tony Adams and Ledley King and Prince William at one I was, point. Yeah. So, the, the, um, the nation's the nation's most famous Villa fan. What was that like? You know, it was he was he like as much of a genuine Villa fan as he seems? Because he definitely does seem to be like you know he's been there at the matches with George and yeah, it was it was really sur- like it was very surreal. So I'd had the opportunity to meet him before, um, but I couldn't. I've, I've had the opportunity to meet him twice before, uh, but I didn't. I, I couldn't get the time off work on one instance um, when I would have gone down to and have a conversation with him and Rio Ferdinand and, and Loyal Karner and a few others. Yeah. And then the second instance, I was invited to the pub by um, Prince William, which um, sounds <laughs> more, and, and Frank Lampard to watch an England match. And I, yeah. couldn't, get, I couldn't get down there um, in time. Cause with these sort of things, you're given very minimal warning because yeah, you don't want to tell too many people about it. Um, but that gives you very limited time to travel from Salford to, to central London on mm. the cheap. Um, so the, the third time, I don't think I could stand him up too many times. So um, <laughs> yeah, it was real, so really, really surreal walking into a bar in Paddington um, to look around, and, and Scott McGinn's there, and, and Scott McTominay's there, and, and um, John McGinn, sorry, John McGinn's there, and Scott McTominay's there, and, and Troy Deeney's there, and then you shepherded away, and Prince William walks in, and yeah, you, we were there to talk about obviously about the, the heads heads up campaign and to talk about our involvement with it as, as football supporters and, and mental health champions almost. Um, but you, yeah, he, he seems to know who all the, he can command a room and he seemed to know who all the different footballers were. He'd obviously even been very well briefed or like you say, is, is a genuine football supporter. Yeah. Um, and I also got to do my favourite thing, which was um, 
so we had a, a roundtable discussion. It was me, um, uh, Prince William, and, and, and uh, three other football fans talking about our involvement with various mental health charities. And you know, it was probably a 10, 15 minute discussion with, with Prince William asking us various questions. And then at the end of it, we all got up because he had to go and, and give a speech about the heads, heads Up Weekends, which was what we were launching. And he, um, I said, before you, before you go, can I just ask you one final question? And he's like, yeah, that's, that's well, he said it much more posh than I will because I'm from Salford and he's <laughs> obviously a duke. Yeah. Um, but he said, yeah, sure, just ask, ask one more question. And I just went, um, do you mind if I just ask you when um, Alan Shearer will be getting knighted? <laughs> and um, Prince William laughed and he was like, has he not already got a knighthood? And I said, no. And in my mind, I was thinking, well, I wouldn't have asked you if he already did. Yeah. I'm, I'm not quite afraid to, to, to I've already I've already pushed my love for this. They said um and he said he was surprised that Alan Shearer didn't already have one because he's got, you know, the Premier League's record goal scorer. Yeah. So I said, Yeah, you know, I, I think he should have one and so Prince William was like, I think somebody needs to nominate him. So I said, Well, can you take this as a verbal nomination now <laughs> while I'm talking to you? And he said he'll look into it and see what he can do. So um next time the um the Queen's birthday or the New Year's honours list comes out and if Alan Shearer's been knighted um, he's got me to thank for that he he made me support Newcastle and I've got him a knighthood so um, that was good and then one of the lads was like um, that was from on the round table with us was like um, I bet when you asked him if you could ask one more question I bet every single thing was running through his head positive it was around the time that um, Prince Harry and, and Meghan Markle left the country to go and live in, in Canada and things like that so yeah wonder if you thought I was going to ask some questions about that or about, um, you know, Prince Andrew's um, interviews that he'd done and things like that. And there was just some idiot asking him about Alan Shearer getting a knighthood. So it's one of those things, I think, if you get the opportunity to do these things and you don't take them, you probably regret them forever. Um, so I, I'd rather, I didn't get pulled away by any security or anything when I wanted to ask him a question, so you may as well just ask it, I think. Yeah. And I can always claim to be the one that got Alan Shearer his knighthood. Um, when he inevitably and, and justifiably gets one in the end. I mean, look, you know, it is obviously, it's his 50th birthday today. So if ever there was a time for him to get it, it's going to be the New Year's Honours. And well, I'll see to it that, you know, we'll get your name up there. So Johnny Charles is the man who got uh, Alan Shearer the nighthead. I mean, I can only say, I can only claim so much. Alan Shearer did a lot of the heavy lifting himself. Ah, no, 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 no. Yeah, it's, it's all you. It's all you. Take the credit. Take the credit. I'll, I'll, I'll take credit for a couple of them. No, I, actually, if I'm taking goals away from him, I'm no better than the in the Premier League. So, uh, no, I won't, won't try and claim any of his goals. Um, I'll just claim the the bragging rights in that, that I got in the, the night, along with all his hard work and 260 Premier League goals, 30, 30 England goals, you know, X amount of goals before the Premier League even started. So, like I say, he's, he's probably justifiably should be a night. So, I mean, like, just before I finish, I was going to ask you, I mean, your favourite Newcastle player of all time, but I think we've clearly established that. <laughs> um, he's, he's, he's definitely up there. Um, for a long time, because it's the obvious answer, it's like whenever, whenever anybody asks you what your favourite, in Alan Partridge, what's your favourite uh, Beatles album? And he says, the best of the Beatles. <laughs> Saying that your favourite Newcastle player is Alan Shearer feels very much like that. So for a long time, I, I would say that um, Nobby Solano was my favourite Newcastle player. And I, he, he's probably, it's probably is quite a close run thing, but I think any, any Newcastle fan, especially, you know, from like 96 onwards, supporting the same era that I did, that isn't saying Alan Shearer, a lot of question marks need to be asked about that because he is. But, you know, we've had you know, Philippe Albert and Gary Speed and 
Robert Lee and Shea Given and David Juma, Lauren Robert, even now Alan Alanson Maximan, Andy Carroll's one of my favourite ever Newcastle players, just because he came through the academy and got the number nine shirt and he was very good for us before he left for Liverpool. So um yeah, there's there's we've we've been to say we've never won anything, we've had a lot of really good players that legitimately could have could have won a lot more if they'd chosen a different destination than Newcastle. But that whole thing of having players that could have won, that is literally the life of being a Spurs fan as well. I mean, you know, I, I would honestly give, I would say, Kane next season, then if he doesn't win anything, I, th- I genuinely think he'll be off and I don't blame him. But again, just having watched him as being, the, the, you know, the privilege of my life as a Spurs fan before then, Bale and Modric. I mean, just to have those players in my, t- in my team, irrespective of the fact that they didn't win anything. It almost feels like a trophy in itself. I know that sounds typical of a Spurs fan. Name <laughs> something of a trophy when it's not. But there you go. I think with Harry Kane as well, I think you do, you would, speaking of, speaking of someone, he, do, he is a lot like Alan Shearer in the yeah. sense that, you know, he gets in the same positions. He, he's, not, he's willing to shoot from everywhere. He's so hungry to, to yeah. score lots of goals. But Alan Shearer, people take the mick out of him that he didn't win many trophies, but he still won the, won the Premier League. He won the Premier League, yeah. Um, so Harry Kane will want to win something. And he can't... He like Alan, Shearer, Alan Shearer would probably... He says he doesn't regret joining Newcastle, but if he hadn't won the Premier League with Blackburn beforehand and then came to Newcastle and won nothing, and so his whole career was defined by winning absolutely nothing, I think he would regret that move to Newcastle over a move to Manchester United. But yeah. because he always has that in his back pocket, he can always claim that he did win title. He wouldn't have title. And Newcastle went terrible when he joined us. We just finished second. We finished second again, then went to two FA Cup finals, played in the Champions League, and then got to the UEFA Cup quarter, uh, semi-finals, quarter-finals. So, you know, he was he was always close to getting another one. But I think Harry Kane, if he'd won the Champions League, people people would, you know, it's a monkey off his back. Yeah. Um, but I think there will always be those question marks. If he doesn't leave Tottenham or, or Tottenham don't, win anything that he could have could have gone to a city or a Real Madrid or you know Manchester United if they managed to win something again soon um but yeah he's, the problem now is that I suppose it was the same problem when Alan Shearer was around that good players like Alan Shearer and good players like Harry Kane cost you know comparatively a lot of money and you know Alan Shearer is 15 million pounds but that was a lot of money in 1996 is the world transfer record and if Harry Kane's going for 150 million pounds who's Going to play, who's going to pay that? That can that can then justify playing him. Like Aguero, City's obviously in the last stage of his career, but they've got Gabriel Jesus, who they're really trying to mould into the next thing. And, and Real Madrid have, have signed, you know, Vinicius Junior and, and Rodrigo and other people like that. And Barcelona, if they could swap you, would probably, you know, offer you about ten players in exchange um, because that's how their transfer policy seems to work now. But just finding those people that would actually pay his, his price or, or getting the players in at Spurs that will help him win a trophy. And then it would be a shame if his whole career was defined by the fact he scored a lot of goals and, and didn't anything. So, yeah, to someone looking from the outside and, and isn't supports a team that are nowhere near um, the competitive level of Tottenham at this point, I wouldn't mind if Tottenham won a trophy and, and it would be good, for, good yeah. for Harry Kane. And just finally, um, who's the one player who's never played for Newcastle? above all others you'd have loved to see or still to see in a Newcastle shirt? Um, can I pick myself? Yes, <laughs> you can. Um, I've, I've been very lucky to play at St James's Park and I've been very lucky to score a goal at St James's Park. Um, 
a few years ago. So um, where, where I wasn't wearing black and white, which is a big um, upset. We were we were in the away kit, so um, um, but I was never never in danger of, of troubling um, Alan Shearer's goal scoring record. Um, what position are you? So I started off as a left back when I first started, but like I said, I was really late to football. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't playing when I was like kicking a ball around the garden when I was like three or four. So I missed out on a lot of development and things like that. Um, so I've started off at left back. Then I found out almost by accident I was extremely quick. Um, so I ran the 200 metres and, and the, re- the relay for high school and things like that. So I got moved into the left midfield. And basically the, the player that I can compare myself to at best was, would be Gareth Bale and the fact that I would kick, put, kick the ball far in front of me and realising I could outpace pretty much yeah, anyone yeah. would then chase after it um, so I didn't have any real dribbling skill um, and then I got moved up front again because I was quick and could get into position and everything but I couldn't finish really because I'd never been taught how to finish properly because I started at left back and no one teaches left back how to shoot so um, yeah and I really love playing uh, seven aside I wasn't very good at 11 and I was awful at five aside because I didn't have that close control and you can't kick the ball in front of you and chase after it so um, but seven aside, I was I was all right. So um, yeah, I played played up front um, most most of the career, and then I snapped snap ligaments in one knee, and then recovered and snapped the ligaments in the other knee. But um, still still scored at St James's Park. So I, I'd probably pick pick myself if I could have played for anyone. Uh, could have picked anyone, but um, someone that actually had ever had an opportunity to actually be signed by Newcastle, um, I'd have loved to see Zidane play for Newcastle. Oh yeah. Um, and we're one of those teams that um, allegedly turned him down, um, along with Blackburn, no. when they said they didn't have Tim Sherwood. Um, we turned we turned him down as well. Um, pa- Paolo Maldini, obviously, is, is another one I would have loved to see him play for Newcastle because our, our relationship with defenders has been questionable at, at best. I think we've had Colaccini was was good. Uh, Lascelles has been decent um, since he took over the captaincy. And, Lauren Robert, and we had Jonathan Woodgate when he was um, one season where he was really, really good that got him his move to, to Real Madrid. But the man responsible for Tottenham's only trophy, yeah, out jumping was it Petr Cech in the Chelsea goal? It yeah. was indeed, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, so Maldini Zidane. Um, and what I would have really loved to to see would have been to keep that Newcastle team together from '96 '97 which is the only season where we had Ginola, Shearer and Ferdinand together, keep them together for one season longer um, and keep Keegan around for one, at least one more season because, you know, that team got broken up so quickly and Ferdinand and Shearer uh, were really good together. And I know Spurs got the benefit of Newcastle deciding to do, you know, sell Ginola and sell, sell Ferdinand, but keeping them together for one season longer with, with Keegan or with um, Bobby Robson, who was our first choice when Keegan left. Um, with one of those two, I think we could have really made a, a proper, you know, go for the Premier League and, and uh, really gone, gone, gone further than better chance of winning any trophies than we ever really had. But, you know, needs must. And we had to, we had to sell one of the two to, to float ourselves on the stock market. And Ferdinand wanted to leave and Shearer got injured. And it was just a... A domino effect of everything going wrong from there on in, and the players we got to replace them, like Jean Dal Thomason, who is a legitimately very good player, but he came to England too young and wasn't supposed to be played as much as he was, and, and so looked a bit out of sorts. And getting John Barnes and Ian Rush and Stuart Pearce, it was um, 
it was a travesty of what happened to that Newcastle team that Keegan had taken so long to build. Um, yeah, keeping them together for a couple more seasons would have, I think we would have won something. Whether it was the Premier League, whether it was an FA Cup or whether it was, you know, a League Cup or the UEFA Cup or, or something, it's still a trophy at the end of the day. Like you say, that Spurs' last trophy is a League Cup and I'm sure that holds a special place in your memory that you went to Wembley and won something. So, yeah, at the end of the day, Newcastle, we won the Intertoto Cup and we've won the... Um, from the championship twice, but it's not 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 a prop, not the same as winning something where you go to Wembley and you have a, a good day out. Until that day when Zidane comes out of retirement, Zidane sharples that dynamic St James's Park duo. I can see it now. I know. I've been. I've, I've been. I saw um saw Zinedine Zinedine Zidane play football um ten ten years ago after he retired. He played at Soccer Aid and he played up front. And there's that famous stat that often gets wheeled out but it's not true that Zidane never got caught offside um, but if you watch this soccer aid match he stood offside for he's probably on the pitch for about 80 minutes and he was probably offside for about 75 of them because he played up front and just couldn't be bothered to run back but every time every time he got the ball he, I think it's he just, he just obviously never lost that touch and I imagine now in training at Real Madrid the other players must just look at him and, and think he could probably still pull on a shirt and play for them because back then he, he was still just phenomenal. Like his touch was still there, just the flair was still there. The, the look, the fact that he looked like he wasn't even trying, and um, he was just phenomenal. So um, yeah, I imagine he could still, he could, he'd probably still be our best player now. No offense to um, Joe Linton <laughs> or Javier Manquillo, but yeah, yeah. I imagine Zinedine Zidane would still be Newcastle's best player. Just phenomenal. Thank you so much for joining us, Johnny. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Bye. Have a good one. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you heard, do subscribe and follow us on Twitter at MyFirstMatchPod. See you soon.